So I want to minister for a little while this morning through a message I'm calling, He Touched Me. Sometimes we can all get so busy in life that we forget the significance of touch. The world longs to be touched, and many have never experienced the loving touch of Papa God. As a result, you know what they try to do? They try to find other ways to scratch their itch. But I'm telling you in advance, nothing will satisfy like his touch. Nothing will satisfy like his presence. There are no substitutes for the presence and the touch of God. I can tell you that without equivocation. Did you know that touch is the primary language of compassion. I want you to meditate on that for just a moment. You will never know how much someone really loves you until you find yourself in a situation that is so desperate, so hurtful perhaps, and someone comes along. Maybe it's with words. Maybe it's just a, a touch on your shoulder. Maybe it's a hug, whatever it may be. You will never understand the level of compassion until you find yourself in a time of need like that. I'm convinced that I fell in love with Jesus because the night that I received him, he touched me so profoundly that night. There are no words that would allow me to explain. And I think if you've been touched by Jesus like that, I don't think my explanation would matter to you. You would understand it. And that night, I fell in love with God. I fell in love with the Holy Spirit. I fell in love with Jesus because I felt like I had been touched to the depths of my soul. And it brought such peace to my heart. I had never experienced that much peace in my life. And he found me, if you will, in a time when it was my deepest despair. I think we can all relate with that. There's times that we go through where Man, we're, just, we're in despair. They're challenging times. Boy, I didn't have any other place but to look up. I would have felt like I was in a pit that was a mile deep. You see, people knew that Jesus loved them primarily because he touched them. He touched their bodies and he healed them. He touched their hearts and he changed them. Now, I understand we're in a season right now of this social distancing. I don't like it. But I understand some of the protocols that we're facing today. But even when we adhere to those, it doesn't come without great emotional costs on the backside of things. I was thinking about this last night. I thought about when's the last time I've hugged my grandchildren. We have eight of them. And the truth of the matter is, We've not hugged them since March. And that's not because we don't want to hug them, but it's because we want to honor their parents, our kids. Otherwise, I would just snatch them up and hug them. But sometimes people walk in such fear and intimidation and concern, and then you have to be sensitive to that. Remember, we have to be compassionate to one another. Mother Teresa was known as one of the most compassionate women in ministry. 
I don't think I would get any argument about that. She said these words right here. People have forgotten what the human touch is. The most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved and unwanted. In other words, the truth of the matter is lonely people have not been touched in a while. Because the more we can reach out and put our arms around them, sometimes, yes, in the physical sense, other times it's a phone call, other times it's a prayer, but the more that they can sense a touch, uh, a lot of times it's prayer. It's just prayer that people are so touched in their heart when you pray for them that it gives them strength, it gives them the ability to get through those tough times, those tough moments. In Matthew chapter 19, Verses 13 through 15, we find these words. There were brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray. Now let me stop here for a second. Here are parents who have watched Jesus. They have listened to his words. They have watched him pray for people, the sick, the lame, whoever it may be. And they knew that there was not only a power in what he did because they saw the results, but they knew that he knew who he was talking to. He made it so real. And so these parents would have brought their children unto Jesus as he was passing through to get him to pray for their children. In other words, they wanted him to imprint their little tender hearts, their little tender minds, with whatever he would speak over him, and whatever he would say would be the most appropriate thing for that moment, believe me. Sometimes we pray and we're all over the chart. Uh, we're praying for things that maybe are not even relevant at that moment or maybe never relevant, I don't know. But Jesus knew how to pray and he knew how to discern the need at hand. And when he prayed, he prayed effectual, fervent prayers and he prayed prayers of faith, and he knew who he was praying to. He knew he was praying to his father. And so they brought the little children unto Jesus that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. You see, the disciples are just being religious. They think Jesus has more important things to do. So let's just move along. Let's go to the next town. Let's find someone to heal. Why waste this time just praying for little children? Well, that's not Jesus's heart. Friends, I'm telling you something. Prayer is one of the most powerful assets we have to be able to pray to the Father, pray to Jesus, pray to the Holy Spirit, and then watch him do the miraculous. And so it says, the disciples rebuke them. Not the children. The disciples rebuke the parents. Okay? But Jesus said to them, Suffer the little children. That means allow the little children. Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Now look at those next words. And he laid his hands on them and then traveled on from there. Do you see this? He didn't listen to the disciples. He didn't listen to the crowd. He wasn't offended. He did what he was called to do. People brought children to him. And the Bible says he laid his hands on the little children and he prayed for them. I can only imagine in that moment, that quiet moment, that those children felt such love. 
I believe when Jesus touched you, it was more than words. I believe there was something powerful, the power, the virtue, the goodness of God flowed out of him that even if they didn't need a miracle, they walked away like, I feel like I've been loved. Friends, I've been in the presence of people that have made me feel loved over time. You guys even have made me feel so loved that when I've walked away, I thought, man, I just feel so loved. And I can only imagine those little children felt that at that moment. You know, the Bible says Jesus loves the little children. We sing the song, all the children of the world. And Jesus loved touching people. He wasn't afraid. He didn't care if you were unclean or what. He touched you. Here's an amazing thought. Jesus never touched someone out of guilt, shame, fear, or condemnation. That wasn't his motive for touching. Oh, I feel like I have to do this. No. He never touched someone out of guilt or shame or fear or condemnation. He never touched someone out of intimidation, manipulation, coercion, or compulsion. When Jesus touched a man, he touched them from compassion. He touched them with compassion. Jesus was known for touching people. And as my mind began to go through the Rolodex of the different examples of people that Jesus touched, I couldn't help but think the first one that came to my mind was Jesus had the audacity to touch lepers. Now, nobody touched lepers. In fact, it was commanded under the law that they should be sent away out into the woods, out into the desert. And you bring them food, but don't touch them. Don't even get close to them because it was very contagious. But Jesus touched the lepers. Jesus touched the blind. Did you know that Jesus touched the ears of the deaf and he touched the tongue of the mute? Now, when is the last time you did that? When you were praying, reach out and touch the tongue. You know, today we wouldn't even think about something like that. He touched the tongue of the mute. Jesus even touched his disciples' feet. So from head to toe, Jesus always touching folks. I love that about Jesus, friends. Jesus touched people in emotional ways, not just physical ways too. But that night that Nicodemus came, in John chapter 3, when we read about it, Nicodemus came with the idea, perhaps, of pulling the slack out of Jesus, yanking the slack out of Jesus, showing him that I've been at this a long time. You're much younger than I am. I can teach you some things. But you know what Jesus did? Jesus touched him with his words. Jesus began to speak life into him. Not only life, he began to speak love into Nicodemus. That's where the scriptures are found. God so loved the world. They're found in that encounter with Nicodemus, John chapter 3. Jesus touched the heart of Nicodemus. Jesus touched the broken soul of the adulterous woman. Soul that was broken. Junk in the trunk, if you will. Just so full of darkness. Just so full of condemnation. And Jesus would say something so simple. That's why I'm saying we can reach out and touch people with our words. And he said, woman, where are thine accusers? And she said, I don't see any accusers. 
And he said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. He empowered that woman to be able to leave that life of sin. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus touched the soul of the woman caught in adultery. And Jesus touched the conscience of a tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. Oh, Zacchaeus, man, his conscience was bothering him, I'm sure. Because he's always stealing from people. He's always taking advantage of people. He's always robbing them. He's a low-down, dirty rat. That's what he is. Like, who used to say that? Humphrey Bogart or somebody? Ooh, you dirty rat. That's what Zacchaeus was. And it was Jesus' idea as he passed through. And he saw Zacchaeus in a sycamore tree. And he said, Zacchaeus called him by name. He said, you come down. He said, because I'm going to go to your house today. And he wasn't there very long, according to the scriptures. But you know what? Zacchaeus began to hear love come out. He began to hear life come out. He began to hear liberty coming out of Jesus. And he thought, what is this? And it changed him on the spot. Friends, don't tell me that you can only touch with the physical hand. I'm telling you, you can touch with your words. You can touch with your prayers. They are powerful and effectual. It didn't stop there. Jesus had the audacity as he walked through the city of Nain and there was a funeral procession. Men carrying a coffin. And the Bible says he walked up and he touched the coffin. And guess what? The man that was horizontal became vertical. Isn't that beautiful? That's the power of this Jesus. He became vertical. And I don't know what his first words were, but they were all amazed, the Bible says. Jesus was always touching stuff. He touched the coffin of a dead man, the son from the widow of Nain, and he rose from his deathbed. Beautiful. Jesus touched the sick. Jesus touched sinners. And friends, Jesus allowed himself to be touched. That's important too. You got to allow yourself to be touched. Not only physically, but emotionally and with prayer. Allow yourself to be touched. Jesus was touched. He was touched by sinful men and he was touched by sinful women. He was touched by the woman with the issue of blood. You remember that story? She had the issue of blood for 12 years and spent all of her money on doctors and physicians. And the Bible says she couldn't get healed, but she heard about Jesus. And she said, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. And she pressed through the crowd with destiny-altering faith through that crowd. And she touched the hem of his garment. And the Bible says her issue of blood stayed. I bet you could have heard a pin drop. And she knew. She knew. She felt it on the inside of her very much like Mary felt Jesus on the inside of her. She felt something. She knew she had been changed. And guess what? Jesus felt something too. He said, who touched me? Who just touched me? And they said, Master, we're in a crowd of people. They're thronging you. How are we supposed to know? He said, someone with faith just touched me. I felt virtue go out of me. 
I felt all my daddy's goodness go out of me. Somebody touch me. Jesus was touched by Thomas. You know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about doubting Thomas. You remember him, one of his disciples that just couldn't believe, just couldn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead when Jesus came walking through the wall of the house and he said, Thomas, it's me. No, no, that can't be you, Jesus. He said, Thomas, give me your index finger. I want you to put it right through this perforation and watch it come out the other side. Thomas, spirits don't have flesh and blood. It's me, Thomas. I'm a man and I'm risen from the dead. And then Jesus said, I want you to take your hand, Thomas. Maybe the finger wasn't enough. I want you to take your whole hand and I want you to thrust it into my side. Jesus loved being touched. Whatever the motivation was, he loved being touched. The Bible also declares that Jesus is touched by our infirmities. The issues of life, our sicknesses, our flesh-headed thinking. He's touched by our infirmities. Friends, it's my prayer that someday, maybe somebody over in Babylon, somewhere over in Jerusalem, will take a trowel and they'll thrust it into the ground and they'll pull that trowel back and there'll be the diary of guys like Nicodemus, the diary of guys like Zacchaeus, the diary of the woman with the issue of blood or perhaps the woman caught in adultery. Because you know what? If they did have one and they wrote in it the day they encountered Jesus, all their diaries will read the same. At the very top of the page, it will be written, Today, He touched me. He touched me. <laughs> Jesus came to touch us with His Father's one-of-a-kind love and amazing grace. One-of-a-kind. But in order to become one with us, He had to first become one of us. Jesus became a man. Friends, that's where the Christmas story begins. Jesus becomes a man. Baby Jesus, God among us. Humanity, Jesus, God like us. Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us. Do you see that? Isn't that beautiful? We see the name Emmanuel just one time in the New Testament. Only one time it's recorded. And it surfaces in connection with the virgin giving birth to the Son of God. Look at Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. Matthew wrote these words. He said, Behold the virgin will become pregnant and will give birth to a son and they will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. 2,000 years ago, that prophecy you're looking at was fulfilled through a young Galilean Jewish girl, a virgin, if you will, named Mary. Now I want you to get out your paint by number kit and I want you to do something in your mind. I want you to paint a picture of what you think Mary might have looked like, okay? Can you do that with me just for a second? I sure wish I had time to just wait on these pictures because I'm convinced at the end our pictures would have a lot of similarities. I really am convinced of that. I want you to start painting in your mind what Mary might have looked like. With my imagination being creative like it is, I can imagine this young Mary with copper-toned skin. I'm talking about skin that was so radiant that it glistened in the sunlight. I can imagine this young Mary with prominent cheekbones, a cleft chin, and bilateral dimples, friends. 
I can imagine this young Mary with raven black hair that was as long as she was tall. And I can imagine this young Mary with teeth whiter than milk and eyes darker than wine. That's my picture of Mary. Was it like yours? If I'd have given you enough time, it might have been. Now, if Mary had been applying for a modeling job, then all of these qualities would have made a big difference. But the truth of the matter is, God wasn't looking for a model. He was looking for a mother. And he found that in Mary. The greatest gift we can give our children is to give them the heart of God. It's not just to give them physical things, physical beauty. The greatest thing that we can pass along is our heart, our heart for Jesus, our heart for God, our heart for this gospel of grace. You see, in God's eyes, it didn't matter what Mary physically looked like. In 1 Samuel, the Bible says that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. And he looked at Mary's heart. And he said, you know what? I not only see a heart that's innocent, I see a heart that's willing. I see a heart that's willing. And knowing God, he would have searched the whole earth looking for a person like this. I don't think it was random. I don't think it was just anybody will do. God searched the earth and he found an innocent young virgin by the name of Mary. And he said, she's the one. Because when the angel visits her, she'll say, yes, be it unto me. He knew in advance. God looks upon the heart, not the outward appearance. And guess what? Mary was a bright spot in the eyes of God. And because of Jesus' birth, because of his death, because of his burial, because of his resurrection, you and I are just as big of a bright spot in the heart of God, in the eyes of God, as Mary was. Friends, the Father is not looking for fatal flaws in our character so that he can take away Emmanuel, God with us. When man rebukes us for whatever we do, character flaws, if you will, Jesus says, it doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter what they look like. Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Daddy's not looking for ways to disqualify us. He calls us to come to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. The scriptures tell us that God sent the angel Gabriel to visit this Mary. And on that visit, Gabriel didn't embroider. In other words, he didn't add to the words that God had given him, given it fancy edges. He didn't have exaggerated commentary. Gabriel spoke exactly what God had told him to speak. He didn't leave out a single word and he didn't add a word to it. There was no need for that, friends. The message that Gabriel delivered to Mary was this. I love this. The Lord has blessed you and is with you. Now, I want you to take those words, Treva, and I want you to lock them in the safety deposit box, okay? Because you're going to need them again. You see, friends, we have a tendency to forget sometimes when trials come our way, when persecution comes our way, when tough times come our way, we have a tendency to forget his promise that God has blessed you. God is with you. That's what he said. From every sunrise to every sunset, hear the words of the Lord. He has blessed you and he is 
with you. The angel Gabriel said, don't be afraid. Now, friends, listen, I want you to put your shoes on. I want you to grab your car keys and I want you to drive to the same bank. And I want you to walk through the same vault. And I want you to pull out that same safety deposit box. You know, the one that says, God has blessed you. He is with you. And I want you to lay those words right next to it. Don't be afraid. Because you're going to need them throughout life as well. So he said to her, don't be afraid. And then he says, God has shown you his grace. I want you to get your shoes back on. I want you to grab your car keys. I want you to drive the same duration to the same place, to the same vault that holds your safety deposit box. The one that contains God has blessed you and is with you. The one that contains don't be afraid. And I want you to lay those words right in there, friends. God has shown you his grace. Friends, this is the gospel message. The gospel message is God is with us. God has blessed us. We don't have to be afraid. Why? Because God has shown us his grace. That is the gospel message. God has shown us his grace. And the angel says, you will become pregnant, and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Oh, there's that name, friends. You will name him Jesus. In other words, Gabriel was proclaiming that Mary had a little lamb long before the nursery rhyme was written. He said, Mary, you're going to have a little lamb. Isn't that what John the Baptist would call him when he would first see him? He would say, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You're going to have a little lamb. The first cradle that Jesus would be laid in was not a cradle made of wood and hay, friends. It was the cradle of his mother's loving arms. And that was his first cradle. Can you see it? I mean, what mother, what loving mother doesn't want to hold their baby after it's born? They immediately, all the pain that they've had to endure to have that child, they immediately, the Bible says, forget about that for the moment. They're overwhelmed with this love for their baby. The first cradle that Jesus laid in was the cradle of his mother's loving arms. And in the quietness, of that night, I believe the song began to rise in Mary's heart. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something just happened. And now I know he touched me and he made me whole. Can you imagine that? Mary was singing that before Bill Gaither wrote it. It wasn't about her touch for him. It was his skin, him touching her. Friends, not everything is recorded in the Bible. You've got to take some liberties, but I can only imagine with a promise like she had received and understanding this is a miracle baby on the inside of me. No ordinary child. Something special about this little guy. And guess what? He touched me. Friends, it would have been impossible that night for Mary to look at that little baby and fully understand, fully comprehend 
the magnitude of the gift of grace that was inside the little man she was holding, but she treasured the gift from God that came on that starlit night. We see the results of Mary's pregnancy test in Luke chapter 1. As it turns out, guess what? Her test is positive. Guess what? She's going to have a boy. Absolutely. Look at these words. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin. She was engaged to marry a man named Joseph from the family of David. Her name was Mary. The angel came to her and said, Greetings! Now that would scare the stuffings out of most people, right? Come on, be honest with you. I mean, if you don't believe me next time, you come to church, I'll be hiding around the corner there where that lamp's at. When you come around, I'm just going to go, Greetings! You are going to jump out of your skin. You're going to be like me carrying that chicken in this morning. <laughs> the angel says, greetings. Look what he says. The Lord has blessed you and is with you. But Mary was very startled by what the angel said and wondered what this greeting might mean. The angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. God has shown you his grace. I love those words, friends. God has shown you his grace. Listen, he says, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son. There's the pregnancy test right there, friends. And you will name him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of King David, his ancestor. He will rule over the people of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. Mary said to the angel, the obvious question. I think you would ask it too. Well, how's this going to happen? How's this possible? She said, since I am a virgin. The angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will cover you. Now look at these words. He says, for this reason. What reason? <laughs> the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. He said, for that reason, for this reason, the baby will be holy. In other words, Mary, you're not going to make him holy. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to make him holy. Okay. For this reason, the baby will be holy and he will be called the son of God. Mary said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let this happen to me as you say. Then the angel went away. As I read the account of the virgin birth of Jesus, the first truth that I am faced with, the first truth that I have to wrestle with is the fact that Mary did nothing to help facilitate the life of Christ on the inside. Do you see that? She did nothing, friends. She just said, let it be. Remember that song? Let it be, let it be. Oh, I feel like singing today. Let it be. That's all she said, let it be. She did nothing to facilitate the life of Christ on the inside of her. Remember what the angel Gabriel told Mary? He said, the Lord has blessed you and is with you. Don't be afraid. God has shown you his grace. The Holy Spirit has come upon you and the power of the Most High has covered you. And he says, for that reason, the baby will be holy and will be called the Son of God. Mary also did nothing to compete against others to win the prestigious 
extravagant honor as mother of the Savior of the world. She became the mother of Jesus by grace through faith. The same way you and I become a son of God or a daughter of God by grace through faith, sealed by her consent. Let it be unto me. See, not everybody is saved, friends. It's only those that have consented to his grace by faith. She said, let it be unto me according to your word. You see, friends, it wasn't Mary's idea to be the mother of Jesus. It was God's. In the same manner, it wasn't our idea to be saved. Guess what? It was still God's idea. It is the Father's plan to seek out them that will allow His Son to come and live and come and grow on the inside of us. And like Mary, we are connected to Jesus through a spiritual umbilical cord. I'm talking about an umbilical cord that can never be separated, never be severed. The cord of His amazing grace, the cord of His extravagant love, and we are eternally attached to this by grace through faith. In Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 19, we continue with the story. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Man, friends, come on. All the world should be saved, not taxed. But all the world, the taxes aren't a new thing. All the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went there to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. In other words, she is right at the moment, friends, great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. And there were there in that same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. You ever notice every time an angel shows up, he's always got to say, Fear not. He did that to the apostle Paul when he was on the ship. Fear not. You know, it's not that they're scary, but it's just when you least expect it. I don't care who shows up when you least expect it, you suddenly get afraid. But these angels would have balls of light around them, no doubt, and very angelic like they're supposed to be. But he says to them, he says, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Huh, here we go. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. In other words, they broke out in an orchestra sound that was so beautiful. They didn't have to play instruments. When they sang and they broke out in praise, the instruments were right in their voices, friends. But there was this glorious sound that they began to hear and experience. 
And then it says, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary, but Mary, the mama, kept all these things and pondered them in her heart, just like a mama would do. Mamas are always thinking, friends, and pondering and treasuring things. The nativity is a remarkable narrative. It's a beautiful narrative. The king of kings is born in a messy stable and laid in a manger. I mean, really? Of all the places? Friends, I'll tell you one thing. The way I take comfort in knowing that God would allow His Son to be born under such conditions is this. That means He's not concerned with my messes either. He is not concerned with my messes. He will help me out of them, yes. He won't leave me in my messes. But it's what He has available. We make messes sometimes. We fall down. We get boo-boos. We pick ourselves up or the Holy Spirit picks us up. He dusts us off and He reminds us who we are in Christ. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. We're the Holy One in Christ. Why? Because the Spirit has come upon us. In fact, He's not even come upon us. He's come to live inside of us. The main question is not where Jesus was born or how he was born. The main question is not even who he was born to. The main question is why was Jesus born? And if I had till about nine o'clock tonight, I could probably dent uh, the, the reasons why he was born, but let me tell them to you topically. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's Luke chapter 19. You see, that's what he said in front of Zacchaeus after Zacchaeus put his trust in Christ. Jesus said, I've come to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Matthew wrote about that in chapter 5. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John chapter 3. Destroy the works of the devil, friends. Jesus said that. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. John 10.10. 10. Jesus came to save sinners, and the Apostle Paul said that. He wrote that in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and he said, you know what? He not only came to save sinners, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. So if he would save me, you have hope. Because in an Indian tribe, there's no one higher than the chief. How many of you know that? I'm a quarter Indian. I don't know much about them, but I know the chief is the highest one, right? And the Apostle Paul said, I was the highest, but the lowest at the same time. He said, there was nobody more filthy than me. But he said, Jesus came to save sinners, of which I'm the chief of sinners. We see throughout the Gospels that Jesus came to heal the sick. He was constantly healing the sick. Jesus came to set the captives free. That is Luke chapter 4. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and He has anointed me to preach the Gospel. He has anointed me to heal the sick. He has anointed me to lay hands on the blind. He has anointed me to set the captives free. In John chapter 18, when 
Jesus was standing before Pilate, he would look at Pilate and he would say, I came to bear witness unto the truth. Do you see why Jesus came? Do you see all these things? Jesus came to touch the lepers because outside of Jesus' touch, they had zero hope, friends. It was an impending death sentence. He came to touch the lepers and make them whole. Jesus ultimately came to show us the Father. That was his heart. That's his prayer in John chapter 17 where he prays the longest prayer that he prayed and he said, I've come to show you what my daddy looks like and all this stuff that you've seen me doing. This is what my father looks like. I don't do anything. I don't say anything that I don't hear my daddy say first or see my daddy do first. So I've come to show you the Father. And even Philip, his own disciple, said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, have you been with me this long and you still can't see the Father? He's working through me, Philip. Jesus came for all these reasons, friends. Jesus was born because he wanted to touch us with his daddy's love that we might be one with them. That's what his prayer was in John 17. Father, that they might be one with us. He came to show us daddy's heart. He came to show us daddy's touch that we might feel it. All right, we got to get Jesus a little bit older, okay? 40 days after his birth, 40 days from the birth of Jesus, the rites of purification for Mary had run their course. She had been considered unclean. If you had a boy child, you were unclean for 40 days. If you had a girl child, you were unclean for 80 days, according to Moses' law in Leviticus. But they ran the course. The rites of purification had passed. And now it was time to take that little guy to the temple and have him dedicated, according to the custom. Mary and Joseph would now take the little lamb of God to the temple where he would be held in the hands of a devout and just man. Guess what his name was? His name was Simeon. I don't know much about that character, but I love Simeon's heart because Simeon had waited his entire life for one reason, and that was to lay eyes on Christ. Anna was the same. They had waited. They had dedicated their entire life to see Jesus. So they took him to the temple. They didn't know they were going to run into Simeon. And Simeon didn't know they were going to run into them that day. How many babies do you think Simeon might have held in his hand? And every time under his breath, he was saying, God, is this the one? Is this the one? And when Mary and Joseph laid Jesus in his hands, you know the old saying, big things come in small packages. Oh my goodness, something leaped on the inside of Simeon. And he said, this one's different. It's him. I know because I've been waiting all my life for this one. There's something in the spirit revealed to Simeon. It's this one, Simeon. Excites me. He was being touched from the inside out. It wasn't Jesus' skin that was any different than any other baby. His eyes weren't any different than any other baby. The Bible says he had no beauty that we should behold him. So he wasn't any more special looking than any other baby. But by the Spirit, he knew this is him. And Mary and Joseph laid him in Simeon's hand. A man who had waited his entire life for the opportunity 
to hold God's little lamb of salvation in his hands and dedicate him. Isn't that beautiful? When I began to come into the revelation several years ago of the finished work of grace, the finished work of Jesus Christ, I suppose I felt a little bit like Simeon in the sense that my eyes had fallen afresh on Jesus, the gift of righteousness and grace. I remember in those early days, and I still do it to this day, I would take the scriptures and I would open them up and I would just kiss the scriptures. I would just hug my Bible and hold it so dearly. And I still do that and kiss that Bible because I know inside that book is life. And I know inside that book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. I would take those scriptures and I would kiss them and I I can't tell you how many happy tears, I mean, just happy, happy tears would flow from my face. I had waited so long to see this gospel of grace. Simeon had waited so long to see the grace man, this little grace baby. I had journeyed so far in my search for a condemnation-free life without even knowing that I already possessed it through grace and truth in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, friends, religion had taught me to search for him in high places. And in the process, I had overlooked the simplicity of the gospel. See, that's what religion will do. I've had people over the years say, Mark, you're a eagle. Why are you hanging around with crows and blackbirds? I said, look, crows and blackbirds need eagles too. Bring them on. Let me touch them. They won't stay a crow. They won't stay a blackbird. They won't stay a buzzard. Religion had taught me, you only look for him in high places. And I had overlooked the simplicity of the gospel. That Christ would be born in a stable, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and laid in a feeding trough. You see, friends, we call it a cradle, but they weren't expecting babies that night. What they laid him in was a feeding trough. And I've been feeding from him ever since I came to Christ, and ever since this revelation of Jesus Christ. There is nothing peripheral about the gospel. This entire message is about one person, and that is Jesus Christ. That's who this message is about, friends. In Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35, we find these words. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. I told you he was coming up. Simeon. And the same man was just and devout waiting for the consolation, waiting for the comfort, if you will, of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. He was moved at that moment to come to the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus, that's Mary and Joseph, to do for him after the custom of the law, they took he him up in his arms and blessed him and said, Lord, here's what Simeon said. Now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. He said, listen, I have waited for this moment. This is the climax of my life right here. This is as high as it's ever going to get. This is the pinnacle of life right here. I'm holding the Christ the one that you've been telling me about for years after years after years after years, and he's finally in my hands. And with that, I can lay down in peace and I can go and be with you now, Father. 
And he says this, For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. And Simeon blessed them, and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, he says, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. Those were probably tough words to deliver. But when you're prophetic, you're prophetic. Sometimes you don't even realize what you said until you moved on. But he said, listen, with this little guy comes much responsibility. And he said, you're going to experience something. And what was he speaking about? He was speaking ultimately about the cross. The baby is barely out of the cradle. And Simeon is able to look ahead and see the cross. And he said to his mother, a sword is going to pierce your soul also. Mary didn't say, undo it. Let's take it back. I want a refund. No. Her heart was always being unto me according to thy word. Yea, a sword shall pierce thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. In the course of dedicating Jesus, Simeon spoke by the Spirit when he said, Yea, a sword shall pierce thine own soul also. He was referring, friends, again to the cross. What was Simeon saying? We sang it earlier in worship. The child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know? Did you know? I don't think it would have changed anything had she known. No, she couldn't have known. It wasn't told to her. Friends, Jesus is no longer a baby laying in a manger. He is our great high priest. And he is seated in heavenly places right now at the right hand of God, his Father. The scriptures declare that Jesus is in touch with our feelings. He's in touch with our infirmities. Why? Because he's not only God, but 2,000 years ago, he became man. We see this truth in my final scripture, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Do you see that, friends? We are seated in heavenly places with him and he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He loves touch, friends. But was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, not the cradle, not the cross, not the sepulcher. Let us boldly come to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Friends, what will be your testimony when you reach the end of your life? I know what mine will be. 
I will look back and I will say, thank you, Papa, for giving me eyes to be able to see thy salvation in the person of Jesus and his finished work of grace. Thank you, Papa, for the revelation that you have blessed me and that you are with me. And I don't have to be afraid, for God has graciously given me his grace. Thank you, Papa. I don't have to be afraid. You have shown me your grace. But most of all, thank you for Jesus, the darling of heaven and the object of my praise and affection. He truly is the one that every fiber of my being can exclaim from the rooftops. He touched me. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. Touch is the primary language of compassion. The truth be told, we can all get so preoccupied with life that we often overlook the significance of touching others. A touch can come in many forms, but Christ's compassion is the ointment that satisfies. Jesus touched our spirits and converted them. Jesus touched our bodies and healed them. Jesus touched our minds and renewed them. We have much to be thankful for at Christmas. Friends, the Christmas story begins with Jesus taking on flesh. Baby Jesus, God among us. Humanity Jesus, God like us. Emmanuel Jesus, God with us. He has promised in his word that we never have to be afraid. Why? Because he has blessed us and he is with us and because he has shown us his grace. It doesn't matter if we have radiant skin and bilateral dimples. It doesn't matter if our teeth are as white as milk and our eyes are as dark as wine. God is not looking for models. He is looking for sons and daughters that he can touch with his one-of-a-kind love and his extravagant, amazing grace. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and he blessed them. Let that testimony rise from the depths of your hearts this day and let the words flow from your mouth. I met Jesus and he touched me with his Father's love. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I want to thank you that Jesus displayed your heart so perfectly. He came. He didn't distance himself from us. He came up close and personal. He wanted to show us what a loving touch felt like. He touched people with hands. He touched people with words. He touched people with smiles, no doubt. He touched people from children to the elderly. He was in the business of touching people. I want to thank you, Father, that when he touched somebody, they didn't remain the same. Father, we celebrate Jesus at this Christmas season. We celebrate him uh, for his goodness. We thank you, Father, that his work is a finished work. He never needs to come back to a cradle. He never needs to go to a cross again. He will never be buried again. He just stands and he has that invitation. Will you come to me? Will you allow me to touch you? Will you allow me to put my arms around you? Will you allow me to hold you? Will you allow me to embrace you? because I will change your spirit. I will heal your body. I will renew your mind. And Father, I've seen one thing that does that, and that is this revelation 
of the work that has been finished in Christ. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus and he touched us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.